Welcome or welcome back to pre Art Excellence of Roots Bay Chicago Cubs podcast with an eye on player development. And today I'm trying to piggyback off of prior podcasts. I'm trying to piggyback off of prior podcasts, not just because I want to, but because it seems to be appropriate and I'm getting pushed in that direction. And it's completely cool. When I, for instance, last few weeks, I've been commenting on this is a player that Alex Cohen, broadcaster for the AAA iCubs, who, honestly, I don't listen to the iCubs that much. I really don't. I really don't. Right now, I'm more interested in South Bend and Myrtle Beach. Toss in a little bit of Tennessee when they're playing, but they've been off the last couple of days. And I'm driven by starting pitching and bats that intrigue me. Right now, the bats that intrigue me are in South Bend and Myrtle Beach, and the arms that intrigue me are in South Bend and Myrtle Beach. So normally that's where I'm starting out, but by the end of the night, much of the time, Iowa games are running last. So I flip over to listen to the iCubs games, and Alex Cohen is reporting on the relievers. And honestly, if you look at the Cubs 40-man roster, hang on a second, I'm, I'm going to... Okay, there's my 40-man roster list. It's a little bit different than it was. I had updated a little bit. Um, there's a whole lot of pitchers. There is an obscene number of pitchers who made their name... In the iCubs bullpen this year. In March. In March. Here's an, here's an honest question for you. Honest question for you. Uh, rhetorical, largely. If you want to answer it, you're welcome to. But it's largely rhetorical. How many of these pitchers were you remotely familiar with? This preseason. This spring training. Justin Steele. Tommy Nance, Manuel Rodriguez, Keegan Thompson, Trevor McGill, Michael Rucker, Scott Efros. Do I want to add anybody else to that list? Let's throw in uh, Adrian Sampson. How many of those guys are you familiar with in spring training? Right now they're all in the 40-man roster. The Cubs have not had a whole lot of success promoting legitimate starting pitchers from Des Moines to Chicago. However, they've been fantastically good at promoting relievers from Des Moines to Chicago, which, truth be told, cleared up the opportunity to trade some really good relief pitchers in July. Traded them away because the opportunity existed to have the other pitchers pitch in their stead at the major league level. Some of those players have succeeded, and some of them have succeeded less effectively, and some of them have been let go. But um, the trend seems to be 
check out who's doing well in Iowa. And if somebody's doing well in Iowa, then calm the heck up. That seems to be the mindset. Okay, we're going to get to that in a few. We're going to get back to that in a few. But um, now we're going to look at... Actually, I'm going to start with the Cubs game. I'm going to start with the Chicago Cubs game. The Chicago Cubs game. How many times, how many times, how many times, how many times have you heard one of your friends, or maybe even yourself, maybe even yourself, guy comes out with a 6.73 ERA, and the Cubs just absolutely can't do a thing with him. Just can't do a thing with pop up to short. Ground ball to third. Routine fly ball to right. Just nothing. Doing nothing. Pops it up. Third baseman makes the call. Hey, we got a single. Ground ball to short. Flip to second. Relay to first. Double play. Why aren't we doing anything? Why can't we hit this guy? We should be killing this guy. How many times have you heard hands in the air? Yeah, okay. No, hey, hey, you, you oh, okay, yeah. Hands in the air, hands in the air. There, okay, now, now we're good. If a pitcher fights his way to the major leagues, any pitcher, if any starting pitcher fights his way to the major leagues, and on a certain night, He's locating his fastball. He's getting his curveball over. And something else, something else, something else. Slider, change up, whatever it is. Fosh. Splitter, spitter, knuckle curve, whatever the pitch is. If the starting pitcher is getting over three pitches... They're going to win the game. They're going to win the game unless the other guy's doing the same thing. And then you got a pitcher's duel. But um, Alec Mills got his pitches over tonight. I wasn't watching. I was paying attention to the pipeline. But Alec Mills had to be frustrating and infuriating the White Sox hitters. We are going to crush this guy. He has nothing. Round ball to third. Pop up to short. Nothing going on. He had one inning. I think he struck out the side. I really doubt he was throwing 97. Um, if a pitcher gets over enough pitches for strikes, he's going to be tough to hit. He's going to be very difficult to hit because to get through Low A ball, advanced A ball, double A ball, triple A ball. You probably have, if you're a starting pitcher, at least three pitches that you can get over for strikes sometimes. If you're getting all three of them over, that's real tough to hit. That's real tough to hit because what's a pitcher going to sit on? What's a hitter going to sit on? If you're throwing three different pitches and you're getting them all over, what's he going to sit on? What hitters crush is the pitcher who can only get over two pitches. I, I've told the story before, I think. Um, Jason Bure, pitched for the Cubs, pitched for the White Sox, pitched for a couple other teams. One game he's pitching for the White Sox in Cleveland. And it didn't, didn't take... This was back in the day when Cleveland had the absolute mashers. I don't remember who was specifically on that team, but... 
my brother took the trip from Illinois into Ohio to watch the game in Cleveland. Jason Beret had nothing. He had nothing. Car the uh, Cleveland knew he was a fastball pitcher. He, he he wasn't getting his curveball over. He wasn't getting just not. It was he's a fastball pitcher. Sit back, wait for the fastball, and hit it out of the park. Well, Jim Tomey was in the lineup that night. He hit three home runs. None of the three home runs were the longest ball that he hit that night. He also hit one further. It just went foul. If you have a good pitcher who's only getting over one or two pitches, like Lance Linwell's tonight, you're going to get pounded. If you have a pitcher who is ordinary, as some people might think Alec Mills is, he's dangerous. Why well, work on my 40-man roster? Some people are going to say, why do you have Alec Mills on that list? Well, frankly, the Cubs don't have that many starting pitchers. They, they really don't. They, they, there's Kyle Hendricks. There's Alec Mills. That's really about it. Possibly Justin Steele, possibly Keegan Thompson, but they really don't have starting pitching. They just they haven't figured that out. They haven't advanced those players. They haven't developed them. It just hasn't happened yet. So as I am working on the 40-man roster, it's not entirely all about which are the players that have the highest ceilings, which are the guys that throw the hardest, which are the guys that are the most exciting. At some point, you need guys who can start. You need guys who can be starting pitchers. Kyle Hendricks, Alec Mills pretty much have to be on the 40-man roster. It's very difficult to fathom anything other than that. Um, and Patrick Wisdom, four home runs since he's turned 30. That's not bad. He's okay. Um Next time I make the list, I think Rafael Ortega will have to be on the 40-man roster because it's really hard to leave him off. It's really hard to have any excuse for not having him on it. He's still center of the list. That's still fine. Um, I would have brought in Alfonso Rivas late. I also would have brought in Scott Efros for the ninth, but that's just me being me. Now let's get to the minor league action. Corey Abbott, four and a third innings, seven runs, seven earned, nine strikeouts, eight hits, two walks. Corey Abbott has had far too many of those outings. Um, if the Cubs did have more better, more slash better, more and, need, need more and better, um, it, I, I would put Corey Abbott on the right-hand side of the sheet but the Cubs just don't have starting pitching options. As of right now, Corey Abbott would still have to be a 40-man roster guy until I think of something else. I, just, I, I can't see anything yet. Uh, ha haven't fathomed it. Um, so Abbott did not do especially well. Out of the bullpen, Ethan Roberts. Remember how last couple days I've been talking about people who might be on the 40-man roster watch list. Um, Ethan Roberts on the list. Tonight, Ethan Roberts comes in, inning in two-thirds, one hit, two strikeouts. No runs, no nothing, nothing else. 
Brandon Little. Have you heard his name before? Oh yeah, that's right. He's on my list. Brandon Little, uh, two and a third, uh, two two full innings, nothing, 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 three strikeouts. That's okay. Uh, Tommy Nance back from being injured, one inning, one hit, nothing, 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 nothing. Tommy Nance probably at some point should be back up with the parent club. Um, people remember a bad outing which was probably in part him having a bad outing and probably in part in part a case of he wasn't totally healthy at the time. He was probably gutting it out and um, had a bad outing. I don't believe the one bad outing when... It, so often I'll hear people, man, this guy is terrible. Why the heck? He ought to be... And then four hours later, he's been placed on the injured list. Very rarely do I hear people say, you know, when I said all those evil, rotten, horrible things about how we all get taken out back and shot, I was wrong. I, 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 I missed that tweet. I never see that tweet. I see that this guy is terrible. He ought to be released. I see that tweet, but I don't see the, oh, I was completely unaware he was not healthy and he blew his arm out during the process of that game. I, I, I missed that tweet. Tommy Nance belongs on the 40-man roster. The Cubs' concern is they don't have enough starters. Um, Greg Dykeman, two hits, RBI. Ian Miller, one hit, one run, one walk. Omaha Storm Chasers win 7-1. to one. Not a whole lot to brag about in that game, but I touched on it a little tiny bit. Tennessee still not playing due to COVID. And who knows, they might be making some roster moves here and there to get players to Tennessee so they can actually play games on Tuesday. Um, again, depending upon who is healthy, who's not, um, who can be subbed in, who looks like they might be mature enough to go play double A ball, all that kind of happy stuff. Max Bain starts for South Bend. Five innings, four hits, three runs, one earned, no walks, six strikeouts. Very much of a Max Bain kind of a game. I'm happy to see the no walks. That seems to be a thing for him sometimes. Interesting little nugget here. Tyler Santana, who was a starter for, ooh, I think it was five years at Jacksonville. Um, Five-year starter at Jacksonville. I think he's uh, all-time start. Pitching starts leader in Jacksonville has some, you know, durability records for uh, Jacksonville University, the Bulls. Um, two innings pitched, four hits, one run, no earned runs, one strikeout. When he came out after seven innings, Brian King came in to replace him for the eighth. Tyler Santana went back out to the bullpen to keep pitching because there is some interest in Tyler Santana. Being a starter somewhere probably soon because you don't send a relief pitcher back out to the mound in late August if you're concerning yourself with November. Tyler Santana as a starter in South Bend is possible. Tyler Santana as a long reliever in Tennessee might even be possible. I'm not quite sure how it's going to play out, but Tyler Santana... 
um, a nice pickup as far as one of those guys who's willing to sign for $20,000. Um, you don't necessarily always get that. Pablo Allendo is going to get a special spotlight. I'm, I'm kind of a Pablo Allendo fan. Um, I saw his name in box scores in the Dominican Summer League. Thought very little of it because he hadn't put up very good numbers. Then he ends up starting in Myrtle Beach with the full season Pelicans at the start of the season in May. And I'm thinking, oh, that's adorable. And he actually plays and does really well. Does well enough to get promoted. And he's with South Bend in advanced day now. Full breath. One of the things I like to do with these podcasts is go over stuff. There is 0% of a chance that you will pick up if you're not listening to either the game or my podcast. And... Pablo Aliendo had two of those tonight. One of them was runner on first in the eighth inning. I think I'm pretty close. I could be off by an inning, but I think I'm right. Runner on first. He backpicks the, the runner at first. The throw was perfect. The throw was absolutely where Tyler Durna wanted the ball. It was right there. The runner was called safe. Was the runner actually safe? Should he have been called out? I don't know. But if Pablo Aliendo can backpick people, I'm kind of interested in that little factoid. Does that interest you? If there is a catcher in the Cubs pipeline who can flat out put the ball exactly where he wants on a backpick at first base, is that something that you might kind of, you know, make a little note to self kind of thing? Yeah, I thought maybe. Pablo Aliendo. Ninth inning. South Bend up 7-4. to four. There is a runner on first. Run, runners on first and third. With two outs. And if you followed organized baseball, even remotely the last especially the last 10 years. They didn't so much do it back then, I don't think. Way, 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 way back then. But now that most of the players are at least competent athletes, um, you get the situation, runners on first and third with two outs in the ninth, teams up three. You're not holding the runner on at first. What's the runner on first eventually do? They run to second. You know, they actually run to second. It's not credited as a stolen base. It's credited as, um, yeah, you guys are yelling the term at the computer, uh, defensive indifference. Defense, you know, then we're not holding the guy on. You know, he wants to take second. He's welcome to. We're not going to try to, you know, open up gaps for the you know, defensive indifference. Guy runs to second for defensive indifference. Pablo Aliendo throws the ball and damn near guns him out. Pablo Aliendo, what the heck? If I throw the ball into center field, what difference does it make? Run scores, guy goes to third, guy, it doesn't matter. We're still going to win the game. I'm going to throw the ball. I'm going to try to get him out second base and damn near did. Pablo Aliendo's got some, uh, he got some spunk to him. Um, 
Pablo Aliando today, 1-4-3. Run scored, three RBIs. Sacrifice fly, I think another run scored on a ground ball, something like that. Bryce ball, 1-4-4. Run scored, RBI. Drew a walk, which is stunning. Uh, Jonathan Peralazzo, hold that thought. Uh, three for three, run scored, RBI, walk. Johendrik Piango, two for five. Jake Slaughter, one for four, two runs scored with a walk. Luis Vazquez, one for five, run scored, RBI, and got the road sound crew to play the Sports Center top 10 music after he made a defensive play. Think about that. Think about that. In Peoria, they played the Sports Center top 10 music after a defensive play by Luis Vasquez. It's kind of interesting, isn't it? Yeah, Luis Vasquez. He can kind of play. Um, he might have some competition in the middle infield if um well, I I, I don't I don't know if Kevin Made is getting called up or not, but uh Luis Vasquez might end up moving to second. I don't know. Uh remind me to go back to Jonathan Perlaza. Uh, Tennessee, no, not Tennessee. Why am I, why am I reading that as Tennessee? Um, Myrtle Beach, DJ Hers started. DJ Hers, he was low-key on point. Uh, the last time out, he struck out 10 in four innings in his hometown, and it was, uh, basically a ticker tape parade the entire way. This time, five and a third innings. Two hits, two walks, one run scored. It was earned. Five strikeouts. The run scored after he left, but DJ Hers went out for the sixth inning. This hasn't happened before. It was a fantastic outing. It wasn't reliant on strikeouts. There were even times where I was starting to, um, wow, how do I want to put this? Lose track of the game? Kind of like uh, if you're paying attention to something else and Kyle Hendricks is pitching. You know how all of a sudden it's like, you know, there, there's a fly ball to right for the first out. Then there's a ground ball to short and he throws the first for the third out. Wait a minute, where'd the second out go? You're paying attention to something else for four seconds and all of a sudden he, you know, got a batter out on three pitches. DJ Hers was just absolutely in control for the entire game. Um, he had a couple of wicked curveballs. Um, but most of the time he was, he was just better. He was better than the Columbia Fireflies. He, he it wasn't you know it, it wasn't uh well there was this and there was that but he was kind of, no he was just better than them. He was better than them. It took until the sixth inning for them to get actually any kind of a sort of a rally. Sheldon Reed and Bailey Reed locked it down late. Casey Opitz one for three, two runs scored, run driven in, drew a walk. Josue Uma, two for three, RBI, walk. Christian Franklin, one for three with a run scored. Um, Ed Howard, one for two. Oh, uh, Ed Howard hit a 420-foot home run. Yeah, uh, drove in four runs, um, drew two walks. Uh, Christian Franklin got hit by pitch twice and stole a base. Owen Casey flew out to the track twice. It was again a very nice game. Uh, Myrtle Beach won, wins six to one. 
Um, as good as the Kansas City Advance Day affiliate is, Myrtle Beach is better than Kansas City's Loe affiliate. And it's not a question. Um, and tomorrow, it's uh, Daniel Palencia time. So that yeah, I don't know what time that game starts yet, but yeah, you're gonna want to that that you're gonna want to follow. Kevin Made was a late scratch. Uh, Sam Weederhaft had like six or seven times he mentioned he was scratched. I have no information. He was scratched. There's nothing no no news, no anything. It wasn't a case of um he was scratched because he had a high high temperature or he was scratched because he had a sore knee he was scratched and there is no information now if you're having a player who is going to get called up to the next level the next day what would be the most likely comment from the announcer the announcer would probably say something along the lines of Right before the game, they changed the lineup and scratched this guy who has been doing amazingly well. But we weren't told anything. There, there was no news of an injury. There was no news of no news of anything. That is exactly what you would hear if a player is going to get called up. Does that mean Kevin Made is going to get called up to South Bend? No, it doesn't mean that. But if Tennessee is needing players to fill out a roster so they can play a game on Tuesday night, moving Kevin Made to South Bend and possibly bouncing um, Luis Vazquez to second and moving Liam Spence to double A. That's what I'd do. That's exactly what I'd do. Now, I said I want to come back to Jonathan Perlaza. Jonathan Perlaza has been beating the hell out of the ball. He's been absolutely beating the hell out of the ball for the last three weeks, month. Yeah, I'd have to look it up, and I haven't looked it up. But uh, Max Toma had some numbers. I should probably look them up, but I haven't. He's just been hitting the ball. He's been hitting the ball. It's not been... Flukish, it's not been ground ball to short and a normal shortstop makes that play, but Jonathan Perlaza gets a beats out a single. No, he's been hitting the hell out of the ball. He's been hitting out hitting the hell out of the ball. He's been drawing walks. He's been doing all the things that a player who is better than his level ought to be doing. So now you might be saying, you might be thinking, Tim you're probably going to say that Jonathan Perlaza ought to get called up to double A. It's bigger than that. It's bigger than that. It's bigger than that. When you get to the Rule 5 draft, when you get to the Rule 5 draft, there are going to be those six or seven players that come down to flat-out coin flips. Do I think this guy is going to get selected by another team If he is selected, do I think he's going to hang around and last the entire season with that team and figure it out in the process? There's going to be coin flips like that, 
and oh who who were the three names that I gave overnight uh overnight last night last podcast um Gabriel Jaramillo Danias Correa and Yuri Ramos all of them 97 98 99 I think they're all basically in South Bend they're going to be hard choices. They're going to be hard choices because you don't want to have a roster like the Cubs have and already fill up your 40-man roster. You're going to have to have some spots open, some spots still available, and some players who are worthy are going to have to be left unprotected. Pretty much necessity. And if you end up having a pitcher like a Yuri Ramos, well... We'd kind of like to protect him. But we really don't want to put him on the 40-man roster. And if someone else gets him and turns him into something really good, you can look back and say, it's a tough call. It was a really tough call. He hadn't quite entirely figured it out yet. And we decided we didn't want to protect him. So if worst comes to worst, I'm putting air quotes around that. Now, a, a player like a Yuri Ramos gets selected by another team, survives, thrives, does really well. It's not so much of a case of, oh my God, how could you be so stupid, Cubs? How could you miss out? On? No, some guys, they're just coin flips. They're just coin flips. You look at them and there's just not the... There's not the numbers. There's not the recency. There's not the, I absolutely have to protect this guy. And there are going to be players, especially as the pipeline gets better. In a couple years, the Cubs are going to, every year they're going to have to have tough decisions now because they have a good pipeline. There's, you know, next year, at uh, some point, DJ Hers is going to be on there. Yeah, you're going to have to protect him. Somebody else, you, you're going to have to protect him. Uh, Brendan Davis going to have to protect him. So yeah, as quality players come up, as quality players become eligible to, for the Rule 5 draft, there are going to be decisions where you have to protect some guys. Some guys are really 50-50, and some guys are... There's just not enough information to make a compelling enough case to protect this guy in the 40-man roster. Then there's Jonathan Peralaza. Jonathan Peralaza has absolutely started to hit at advanced A. He's absolutely started to hit at, at the advanced A level. And I think I touched on this in a recent podcast. If you go back far enough, you go back 10, 15, 20 years, 30 years, you get somebody saying, well, he's had a good year at advanced A, but he's not ready to contribute at the major league level. We don't want to have to have him taking up a roster spot on the major league roster. That used to be the the mindset. No, he's not ready yet. We don't want to have to have him taking up a roster spot. Eventually what happened is people decided, let's start taking up a, a crap ton of relievers in the Rule 5 draft. Take a bunch of relievers. Guy throws 97, 98, 99. 
bring him in, check him out. Is he worth keeping? You're not going to have to use him in 46 games. You're not going to have to use him for 85 innings in his first year. Next year, everybody's going to have the designated hitter. Everybody's going to have the designated hitter. You're not going to be pinch hitting for pitchers. and You're going to, have, you're going to send him out to the bullpen. Pitch him once a week, twice a week. If his arm's strong enough, you use him for two innings one day. It doesn't really matter if he is totally ready, especially if most of the teams that are doing the Rule 5 drafting are teams that really don't care that much about next season anyway. You got Baltimore, you got Pittsburgh drafting, an, drafting a Yuri Ramos. Do you think they really give a crap if he's Is he going to be able to pitch in 47 games for us? I don't know if he's going to be able to pitch in 62 innings. Maybe we'd better not draft him because he's not a... They don't care. With a Rule 5 pitcher, the mindset is, hey, if he does get to the point where his elbow's a little sore, his shoulder's a little sore, put him on the injury list. Hey, congratulations. Good job, dude. Hey, chill for a while. That that will send you to the minor leagues, and you'll get a little bit of a... Uh, um, rehab stint, and then we'll bring you back up. And if you last ninety days on the major league schedule, uh, ninety days of the major league schedule, then he is a full and complete major leaguer in that team's system the next year. Teams don't really care. Teams don't really care. Is this guy going to? It doesn't really matter. For most of the teams that are drafting Rule Five guys, it's not important. So now let's look to Jonathan Perlaza. Let's look to Jonathan Perlaza. How many teams can you think of in the major league in the major leagues now? You look at their starting lineup, look at their second outfielder, you look at their third you look at their fourth outfielder, their fifth outfielder. How how many guys are yeah, this guy's really good. Fourth or fifth outfielder on a bad team. Yeah, this guy's really good. Not usually. You know, the Cubs had uh, Jake Marisnik, who, you know, he's adequate. If he gets off to a good start, then you keep riding him. But if he'd gotten off for like, you know, if his first 25 appearances, he'd gone two for 25, you think anybody would have been saying, yeah, let's keep this guy, let's keep this guy. I think he's really going to get hot. No, people liked him because he was doing well, largely. You get a Baltimore you get a Pittsburgh, you get a Texas. Walking into the Rule 5 draft, they know we're not going to compete. We're not going to be a first-place team. We're not going to be a second-place team. We would be very fortunate to be a third-place team. What we're basically looking for is talent. We're looking for talent, a guy who two or three years down the line may actually be useful. How about, how about, how about a guy who has a history of being an infielder, but has been switched to the outfield. He's a switch hitter, has developing power, has been hitting the hell out of the ball for the last 30, 40 days. Think somebody might be interested in that? If Jonathan Perlaza is a guy the Cubs lose in the Rule 5 draft, That could be a very legitimate, what the hell were you thinking kind of a moment. 
What the hell were you thinking? Yeah, I know, I know, I know, I know. The Cubs are going to have some people they're going to be keeping in the offseason. But really, their outfielders, they don't really have that many. 40-man roster this offseason. They're going to keep Jason Hayward because they're going to keep Jason Hayward. Ian Happ, I think he will be kept. Greg Dykeman will get kept in Alexander Canario. Rafael Ortega is getting there. Michael Hermosillo, you can make the argument. You can make the argument. Jonathan Peralaza is the absolute kind of guy. If another team leaves a guy like Jonathan Peralaza, good speed, can play all three outfield positions, developing power, is hitting the hell out of the ball in advanced A. That's why I'd want the Cubs to draft in the Rule 5 draft. That's exactly the... That's exactly the character profile I want the Cubs to be after. Versatile. Can run. Seems to be on a hot streak. Yeah. That's exactly who I'd want. There are going to be some decisions that have to be made. Jonathan Perlaza is on my list. As of now, he is on the bottom of my list. The next name, uh, Alex Cohen was talking last night about Eric Yulman doing quite well. Eric Yulman might be added to my tentative list as well. Because it's important to honestly assess everything. Honestly assess everything. And when you are honestly assessing everything, assess the players that you have in the left column. Assess the players that you have in the center column. Assess the players that you have in the right column. How good are these players possibly going to be in 2022, in 2023, in 2024? It's not just about... Well, he had a bad outing last Tuesday. He was terrible last Tuesday. I think he should be released. Last Tuesday very rarely has anything to do with next year. Last Tuesday has very little to do with how a guy's going to do in 2022 or 2023. That's what matters. That's what matters. If somebody goes out and watches Alexander Canario and watches him go 0 for 4 in uh, in an advanced A game and comes back and says, I watched that Alexander Canario. He went 0 for 4. The Cubs ought to non-tender him in the offseason. No, you're, you, that's foolish. That's absolute lunacy. Canario has done enough in other games. If he does have one bad game, and people will in baseball because baseball's difficult. It's about the entire, the entire goulash. You see, it's, it's the entire tapestry. Jonathan Peralaza is getting to the point where I'm going to have... I'm looking at names. I'm looking at names. And I'm looking at Jonathan Peralaza. I'm looking at Nelson Velazquez. I'm looking at Ethan Roberts. I'm looking at Brendan Little. And I'm looking at Denise, Denise Correa. Peralaza. Velazquez, 
Roberts, Little, and Correa. I haven't called my five, or I, my, my rule five choices. But I look at those five, and if the Cubs leave Danias Correa off the list, someone plucks him, gets him through the season, sends him down to the minor leagues, then the couple years he's throwing 100 as a closer, it's perfectly reasonable to say, what the hell were the Cubs thinking? Brendan Little, 94, 95, 96 from the left side with multiple put-away options. Ethan Roberts, he just gets out. I'm not saying who, because I haven't added all my names to the Cubs list. And there are ways, wow, I, that's, a to, that's a totally different podcast, but I, I ought to do it shortly. Um Saturday night in the Cubs pipeline was very good. Saturday night in the Cubs pipeline was very good because people are stepping up. People are stepping up at the major league level. People are stepping up at the minor league level. And other teams are going to start saying, shit, now we got to go and play the Cubs affiliate. Mm Mm-hmm. Because teams want to win. And when you, what I say when a Cubs affiliate has to go in and play a Tampa affiliate, shit, we got to go play a Tampa affiliate. I say that. I mean it. It's like, we're going to lose. We're going to lose because they're better than we are. And you want to get to the point where other teams are saying that about you, about your major league club, about your pipeline, about your everything. And a decent chunk of that is having your players get better as the season progresses. And a decent part of that is getting the 40-man roster right. Tonight was a very good night in the Cubs pipeline. And I have talked a whole lot longer than I expected to. Odd stat of the night, Max Bain, zero walks. Nice to see. Really a nice night. Pablo Aliendo is going to be one of those kind of a guys. And Jonathan Peralaza is going to be really difficult. Three for three, run scored, RBI and a walk. He's going to be really difficult to leave off the Rule 5 Protect list. I don't think I have the stones to leave him off. Thanks for stopping by. Thanks for listening. Be safe. Be nice to other people. And...